Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast. This is episode 53, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, we uh, will often have a topic and we'll chat about it. And then uh, we usually get lots of great questions from our audience, whether it's our podcast audience or our Facebook audience or YouTube or whatever. Um, We'd love to answer some of those questions today. And joining me uh, this week, as she does every week, is the Director of Online Training for the My Dog Can program. It's Instructor Shannon Viljasu. And thanks for joining us, Shannon. Hey, happy to be here. Hi, everybody. So we are going to jump into some of your questions today. And uh, we'll. Uh, th- there's a variety of things on here. And I think uh, any dog owner uh, is going to be able to pull a little bit from this. And maybe you've asked some of these questions yourself. But today, it's all about you. We're going to be answering your questions on the podcast. I'm Ken Steep, and welcome back to McCann Dogs. <laughs> Shannon, with the amount of students that we get to see every week, we get so many awesome questions. And this is, uh, you know, it's really sort of been the foundation for our podcast or been the foundation for our YouTube channel is, you know, uh, getting these great questions and, and then thinking to ourselves, you know, that that is something that everyone can probably benefit from. Yeah, definitely. And I put the um, I put the call out to Facebook for some more questions for our podcast. And I got so many great questions. I thought we need to do a whole episode to answer all these questions. All right, let's do that. That's fun. Yeah, for sure. So let's um, without wasting too much time here, let's let's get right into uh, some of our questions. Now we pull these directly from the McCann Dogs Facebook page, and I'll post a link in the show notes below. Or if you're watching this on our YouTube podcast, I'll, I'll put a link in the description to our Facebook page because I think this is going to be something. Thing that we'd like to more regularly do you know sort of put the call out do you have any questions and then have, have a chat about it on our uh, on our podcast so the first question comes to us from uh, ann robertson and ann asks uh, or says our freddie listens well and behaves while he's on a house line or a leash when he's not on a line or a leash he is as independent as a toddler any suggestions and uh, I, this is this is a great one and this is something that i experienced when i was uh, training with McCann Professional Dog Trainers until someone gave me some sage advice, which uh, is the sage advice that we're going to talk about today. So what's your what's your uh, response to, to Anne's question, Shannon? Definitely. So first off, thanks for the question, Anne. It really is a great one. And it's one that a lot of people struggle with because it's not necessarily intuitive to to expect to work through taking the leash or the line off as sort of a training wheels scenario. So if you think about training wheels, you know, as you're learning to ride a bike, they're there and they're solid. So you've got three good wheels to balance on and then you move the wheels up a little bit rather than taking them right off and hoping you don't fall over, you move the wheels up a little bit, maybe an inch at a time. So if you do top a little bit to the side, there's something to grab you there. And that's what we wanna do with our dogs as well. So, so that question sort of answers itself basically taking the leash off and throwing it away is the equivalent of taking those training wheels off and just hoping for the best and hoping you don't fall. What I like to do with my young dogs is I like to have a really cheap long line that I use for being out and about and really cheap because I can cut off bits of it. So what I'll do is I'll start with the 20 foot long line. And if I am ha- 
happy with the listening that I'm getting on that 20 foot long line, then I might cut off, you know, two or three feet initially. So now I've got a 17 foot long line. So it's still there, but it's a little bit less. And if I'm still happy with the level of listening I'm getting over a couple of different uh, periods outside or walks or hikes or whatever they may be, then I'll think about cutting back even more until I get down to the point where my dog is really just dragging a short line. And the other the other part of this equation is to make sure that you're still doing the same training and having the same expectations as you're weaning away from those training tools. So the last thing we want to do is start cutting back the long line, but think, well, I've already done my training with the long line on, so now I'm just going to coast and keep testing and see how the dog does. I'm still going to get in there and do the repetition of things that I want my dog to be proficient at. So I'm still going to work my long recalls with that long line even shorter to make sure that my dog still understands as the light as the line gets lighter he still understands the expectation and the listening skills are the same so what i would suggest at this point Anne, is take a step back in your training rather than going out and just taking the long line off and saying oh he's not listening now work through weaning away from that long line sort of like a training wheel scenario and you will get a much much better response it'll take a little bit longer but of course the end goal being that the dog listens you're going to get that result much better because you have the opportunity to go in and back things up if your dog doesn't listen and they've still got enough long line on that you can get in there and you can effectively train the dog. Something I also think is uh, really important when you're using a leash, when you're using a long line and something that we talk about so often because we really want the, our dogs to feel like they get to choose, they get to make a choice and then we follow up giving them the information that they're either right or wrong is being aware of your leash tension. If you're whatever exercise you're doing, um, you can accidentally make your dog very leash aware if there's always a little bit of tension on that leash you know if whether it's guiding them while you're walking or um, especially uh, training your recall you know if you have tension on that line your dog is always in the back of their mind sniffing a distraction or looking at something and they're thinking you know I can feel that there's a little pull here and something is about to happen so be really really aware of that tension in your leash and uh, that was something that I struggled a little bit with especially when it came to walking on leash when I was teaching Deegan many many years ago is that I always was ready to uh, you know interrupt her pulling or you know uh, turn her away and uh, in I wasn't really being self-aware of how much pressure I was putting on that leash so when you're training with a leash or you're training with a long line you're, you want that clip, the clip of that leisure long line to be hanging down. You want there to be some slack there. You don't want it to be excessive, but you do need to allow your dog to feel like they are off leash if you want to truly have that same response down the road when you uh, don't have a leash on them. But um, that, that was something that was just sort of a, uh, something that I clearly remember. And I remember the instructor uh, when I was a student at McCann Dogs coming over and talking to me about that. And now having uh, becoming a trainer and having seen so many dogs, I, it's amazing how uh, powerful that p little piece of information can be when it comes to getting a reliable behavior from your dog. Absolutely. And that's probably the one of the most used lines around here. I would be hard pressed to find a day where we have students come through the building where I haven't uttered those words. Oh, loosen up on that leash. You know, so, so important. Excellent point. Now, um, the next question comes to us from Steph Evelyn. And this is a very common question, especially for new puppy owners who, uh, you know, maybe already have a dog in the house or people who really want to have their dog socialize somewhere. Um, and Steph Evelyn asks, what is the best way to introduce dogs to each other? 
Yeah. So uh, there's there's a lot of variables to this scenario. So I'm going to give a bit of a broad overview, and I'm also going to point out that we just recorded a podcast on um, when one is not enough, um, when you want to bring multiple dogs into your household, which which really elaborates on um, things that you should do, things that you should be aware of when you are bringing another dog into the home. Um, if you've got an older dog and a young puppy that you're trying to introduce the young puppy into the household, I always make sure that I err on the side of caution of not overwhelming my other dogs. So I, I um, again, we, we spent a lot of time on that blog and on that podcast talking about uh, the different aspects of this, but basically I don't let them spend a lot of time together because puppies are hard to deal with sometimes. They can be really, really tough on an older dog in the house. Those needle teeth are really sharp and they use them quite uh, quite efficiently. And we don't wanna put our older dogs in a position where they are so put out by the puppy that they have no choice but to tell the puppy off. And of course that creates a dangerous scenario in the home. So um, I like to have a lot of skills on my puppies, at least a response to name. Um, I have a long line on them all the time so that they can't be too obnoxious with the older dogs, but I like to be able to control the scenario so I can stop the puppy at any point from overwhelming the older dog or older dogs in the house. I don't ever want them to take the scenario into their own hands. If you're introducing older dogs to one another, the best way to do it is really to get them together and go for a little walk with them together. Let them get used to each other's presence first. You know, not, not a walk where they're rough and tumble together, but a walk where they're both under under control, you know, in, uh, in a heel position, and they're not necessarily allowed to interact yet. See how they do with, with each other's presence. And if you think that they're going to, get along well if they've been fine for the walk then you can allow some uh, allow some quick sniffing on loose leads be very careful that you're not tightening the leash at all we don't want to change the dog's body posture and we don't want to put the dog in a position where we are putting any tension into the situation um, it can cause all sorts of problems if you are letting dogs greet on tight leashes so make sure that it's a quick greeting make sure that both dogs have good response to name so that on a loose lead you can call their name and turn them away from each other if, there, if you start to see any tension. Um, and I would also, as much as possible, try to educate yourself on body language so that you can recognize really early on if one dog is put off by the interaction or if one dog is getting you know, really pumped or stimulated about the interaction and you can stop it before it turns into anything other than just body language. I, th I remember not, uh, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, we did a live stream on our YouTube channel and instructor Steve made a point where he said, uh, you know, the, the older dog didn't get a choice here. You know, it was your decision to bring another dog home. So forcing the issue isn't a good idea. And I, I really love the advice uh, that you, where you mentioned with maybe older dogs is that you go and uh, take them out together on leash, you know, where you have lots of control. I can think of lots of situations where I've met someone and I've thought to myself, I don't really know if I like this person. And if I were forced to have some kind of relationship with them, uh, it would be really awkward and difficult. But, you know, given some time, you know, you, you, you can choose to either, you know, spend more time with them or not. And I think that's something we really need to remember that uh, not every dog needs to be best friends, but to give them the best opportunity to have a good relationship, you, sl you need to slowly introduce them to each other. I really like that. Uh, now, the next question, again, it's another great question from Ann Robertson, and she asks, uh, any miracle solution to stop the neighbor's dogs from charging the fence and barking uncontrollably at us when the owner thinks it's normal? 
Yeah, the miracle solutions are, are usually in short supply. So that's a tricky one. Um, if the if the neighbor is not willing to work with you, and I'm sort of getting that idea if you're if you're asking how to stop that dog without necessarily um, having said anything about the neighbors themselves and what they're willing to do. So if they're willing to help you with that, that's great. You, you guys together can work through, you know, it, it would be a great training scenario for both dogs to come out into the leash, into the yard on leash and work through some calming ritual exercises in the yard with each other. Um, as far as miracle solution, what I did with my own house, the one side of my yard is chain link fence and the rest is all privacy fencing. And in the chain link fence, when I first moved in, there were three boxers that lived next door that liked to do exactly that thing. And um, my middle child at the time, Tyler, was... Um, pretty excited about that whole thing and he would also get right into it and be excited so I wanted to stop that scenario and of course if I was out there and I could stop him with my voice that was great but if I wasn't in the yard supervising I had no control over the situation so I actually took tarps and strong ties and I put tarps up along that chain link fence just to create a visual barrier so that when those two dogs were out the visual aspect didn't trigger them charging the fence it was simply that um, the noise that would sometimes get them going and get them excited, but it wasn't as stimulating once the visual was gone. So hopefully that's a helpful scenario for you. It uh, it definitely worked in my case. And then the neighbors moved and took their boxers and that solved that problem completely. So <laughs> there's another miracle solution, but I'm not sure how easy that one will be to attain to kick your well, neighbors out. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think that's a great solution. Um, and I think, you know, maybe if it were me, my first step might be go have a chat. I don't know what her, her relationship is like with her neighbors, but say, you know what, anytime I'm out uh, in the backyard with my dogs, your dogs are barking and going crazy. And maybe uh, hopefully the owner just isn't aware of it. I mean, and I don't know what their specific case is, but, you know, maybe communicating that uh, problem with your neighbor, maybe, uh, you know, step in the right direction for that solution. Again, I, it's hard to say specifically whether that'll work for Anne or not, but that might be my first step is just sort of uh, help your neighbor to be aware of it. And, and that's, uh, you know, hopefully will help things out. That now, would definitely be the best solution because then you can get out there and do some training and you can work through it and you'll both be that much better off for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Caitlin uh, Morganweg asks, best way to stop barking at people when they come over? And I think my first question would be, Caitlin, why are you barking at people? Uh, <laughs> but I know what she's trying to ask here and uh, what would be your advice for Caitlin with her dogs barking at people when they come over? Uh, this is a great question. So I'm going to guess that the dog is probably a little bit put off by the people coming into the house, which is why they're barking um, rather than excited and stimulated. But um, I would probably address both of those things in a very similar way. And that would be to train the dog to be calm in the house. You can also work with things like management, right? So if, if you have a dog that is so worried about strangers coming into the house that they're going to be barking and tail tucked and and um, and making a scene in that scenario I would remove the dog from that situation because that will stop the rehearsal of the behavior and that's always the first thing you want to do in any sort of behavior modification is stop the rehearsal rehearsal will predict behavior because it builds that um, that library in the dog's head that says this is what we do in this scenario so what you need to do is you need to stop the dog from doing that same thing each and every time so if that means when i am expecting somebody to come over i will remove the dog and put them in a crate with a nice chewy so that 
further out of the way. And then once things have settled and, you know, maybe it's a guest coming into my house that is somebody that I can work with my dog with and maybe it's not. So if it's somebody that I don't mind saying, okay, I'm going to train my dog while you're here. Um, I will go and get the dog, bring him out on leash and I'll work on something calming and stationary. I really, really like using a go to your bed exercise for these sorts of scenarios for a calm thing in the house. Um, and I would probably do that rather than having the dog try to greet the person and then maybe fall back into the habit of starting to bark again, especially if they're concerned about the person. Um, I would just do the go to your bed and I would instruct the person as well just ignore the dog you know he's um he's not he's not gonna stop barking if you want to greet him that sort of thing so let's just let him be comfortable we'll let you be comfortable and we'll get him used to the scenario that there's a person in the house and my job is not to bark at them and ward them off my job is to go and lie down and relax on my bed so obviously you need to have control of the dog leash on bring them over to the bed work on your go and lie down exercise and really reinforce that make sure that when you're working that um, go and lie down or go to your bed exercise, it's not only when there's the stimulation of a guest coming into the house, you need to make sure you take the time to train that behavior first. So I would spend a lot of time teaching my dog, go to your bed, lie down. You know, the time where I sit in the evening and watch TV, for example, is a time that I spend a lot of training my young puppies to go and lie down on their bed so that I have that calm behavior. And all of my adult dogs know when I say go to your beds, they all go to their beds, they lie down, they chill out. They've usually got a toy close by, a Kong or a Chewy of some sort, and they can occupy themselves with those behaviors. If I want to make sure they're more securely away and out of the situation, I'll use my crates. So depending on the scenario with your dog, I would first take the stimulation out of the, out of the equation and teach them an alternate behavior that go and lie down is going to be a great one. And then if it's a situation where you think, okay, you know what? The dog was just excited barking to see the person. Now that they've calmed down, they'll probably be fine. Then you can certainly, okay, go and say hello and let that greeting happen at that point, but be prepared to stop it if that barking does get, uh, get, get a rise again. And this is something we often mention uh, is setting your dog up to be successful and, and what an important thing that can be. And, and when we talk about whether it's barking at someone coming in the house or maybe it's submissive peeing or maybe it's uh, jumping up. I mean, all of these things can be, uh, can you can put yourself in a good position to be successful by a little bit of management, whether it's in your crate or on your bed, and then you can treat it as a training scenario. So I, I love that. Uh, I love that approach. Um, I know we have a uh, video on the uh, our YouTube channel about teaching your dog to go lie down on their bed, and I know that uh, something that people can use a lot more often. You know, it's not just a a, a trick for only when you're um, sitting on the couch or when you're you want to show your friends that your dog will go onto their bed. It's a it's a really valuable um, behavior to to have to set your dog up to be right. Um, so I I love using that, and I, I can think of so many different times when uh, having your dog to go lie on uh, on their bed or in a place can be really really helpful for your training. Yeah, I, I use that so much in my house, so much more than any other cue, go and lie down, is because when you have multiple dogs, sometimes they get in the way. <laughs> so that go and lie down command is so, so valuable. I definitely recommend it for anybody. For sure. Um, uh, next question comes from Rachel Bata. Uh, she asks, uh, my dog has been given a rabies vaccine as a pup. And again, a year later, is there immunity now? Can I get a teeter test done to check? And where can I get this? And she also asks, uh, how can my dog contract rabies? Do I need to vaccinate uh, for an indoor dog of six pounds? 
So um, as far as vaccinating or not vaccinating, it is mandated in Ontario that all dogs must be vaccinated for rabies by a certain age. So that is something that you need to consider whether the dog's indoors or outdoors. I mean, certainly there's a lower risk. Um, however, again, it is law. Talk to your vet. Uh, that's, that's definitely the first step that I would take with any vaccine protocol is talk to the vet. Um, as far as the level of immunity, the only way to actually tell whether or not your dog has acquired immunity from a vaccination is too tighter. Um, with a rabies titer, it's a very expensive proposition in Ontario. I actually just recently did one with my youngster Ned and I'm just waiting on the results and it was somewhere around $300 for that because there's very few places that are actually doing rabies titers. It needed to be shipped down somewhere in the States and it's, it escapes my mind at this, uh, at this moment. Um, but uh, definitely, if you want those answers, and with me, I don't ever want to just trust that because I've vaccinated, my dog is going to have adequate immunity. So I will actually titer after all of their vaccinations. I'll wait a little bit of time, and then I'll do a titer to make sure that they are adequately protected. Um, there's there's a little bit of an assumption out there, I think, that um, people assume that just because they've done the vaccination, the vaccination has taken hold and is perfect and is good and the dog will be safe. And unfortunately, that's not the case. There are situations where there's interference, where you know there's dogs who just sort of will fight off that vaccination for whatever reason and the adequate immunity doesn't take hold. So if you want to know with 100% certainty, then you need to go back to the vet you need to talk to them about when they would recommend you do the titer with that dog. And you also need to put out much more money than the vaccine costs to do the titer test to see if there's adequate immunity there. So I hope that gives you a little bit of insight. Um, I don't feel comfortable giving you a definite answer on that because I'm not a veterinary professional. But from my experience, um, if you want to know for certain, definitely the titer is the way to go. But be prepared, they are still really pricey. Actually, the, only the rabies is the one that's really pricey. The other ones are very reasonable. Uh, even with that cost, still worth knowing. You know, being sure Probably and that. making sure your dog is protected is really, really important. Absolutely. Savannah Emanuel asks, how to train your dog to stay in his or her bed while in the house? Hi, Savannah. Great question. We actually have a great video on YouTube about that. Um, I, I, if I were to give you a, a really quick answer to that, I would say build value for that position. So build value for being on that bed. Um, uh, like I said, I usually will uh, train my young dogs in the TV time that I have in the evenings. I'll train them with your go, go to your bed cue and I'll have the, lots of yummy treats in my pocket. I'll guide them to the bed, go and lie down, give them a bone to chew on while they're there. And then every once in a while from the couch, I'll toss them a treat. So it's not a big procession that I'm getting up and going to them to reinforce. But every once in a while, there's this random cookie that comes flying. And my uh, older dogs love it when I have a puppy because then they get random cookies too because I feel bad leaving them out. So that's always a nice proposition. So yeah, just, just train it. Um, look for that video on our YouTube channel. You can search for it. And uh, we'd love to see how you're progressing with it. Yeah, and I'll post a link in the description or in the show notes of this podcast um, so that you guys can check out that video if uh, you're listening or, or watching it on YouTube. Now, uh, something that I 
quickly mention is that you can very quickly build value uh, quite simply by starting with Epic close to wherever you're sitting. So I love Shannon's example where she's watching TV. I think that's such a great time to be multitasking, especially nowadays that we're so accustomed to like second screening and we want to be as efficient as we can, but you can have your puppy's bed very near wherever you're sitting. Uh, that way you can easily reinforce them and then over time move it a little bit farther away. But if you'd like a little bit more in-depth training on this, uh, I'll post a link uh, below the episode. Um, Diane, Diane Duffy asks, I would like to help my old Boston bulldog learn to be self-soothing so I don't have to play with him all the time when he gets, uh, when we're indoors. Outside he's fine. Inside he gets all stressed because he doesn't know what to do. How do you, oh, sorry. And then she asks, how did she find us on the podcast? Thanks so much for the question, Diane. Um, so with the, with the idea that the house is, you want the house to be a little bit more structured, I would concentrate on structured activities. So rather than just coming into the house and letting the dog be loose, I would come into the house and maybe crate the dog some of the time, maybe use your go and lie down on the bed cue, um, do sit stays, down stays. You can do some enrichment work too, so that it's not, uh, it's not just structure and boring exercises. It's things that are going to mentally tire the dog out. So um, you've probably seen lots of enrichment um, games and activities, you know, the, the bottles with food in them, things like that will go a long way to sort of taking that mental edge off the dog and helping them to calm down in situations where they should be just more relaxed. So I, I guess my recommendation would be to apply some more structure to the things in the house. So rather than playing with him and entertaining him, you know, think about activities activities that he can be entertained on his own that don't necessarily involve you. And then you can cut back on the time that you have to, you know, consistently play with him in the house. Of course, you don't, I'm sure you don't want to drop that entirely because you probably want to play with your dog, but we don't want to have to have that be a demand all of the time. So some structured activities, some, some stimulation activities that will have him thinking and working through that on his own and not necessarily having to play with you, that should go a long way for you. And that'll really lead to some great uh, relationship building uh, exercises and some really important leadership exercises because rather than focusing on the quantity of time that your dog is uh, spending with you and maybe out of their crate, you're spent, you're focusing on the quality of time, uh, what you're doing with that time and really teaching your dog that anytime they uh, do have free time that they can listen to you and they can do something enjoyable. Um, but when it's time, you know, when you're busy or distracted or you have something else to do that they can rest comfortably in their crate, knowing that the next time that they come out, they can do something with you. So I really like that advice for a lot of different reasons. I think it's really, um, you know, a great way to, to, uh, to have build in an off switch for your dog. And I know that's something that we do with each and every one of our own personal puppies that uh, come into our household. It's uh, it's really nice to have them just uh, go hang out and relax. But when they come out, you know, it's all about uh, having fun with us. Um, Alice Rupp asks, uh, I am struggling to train my dog to not eat goose and deer poop. And this is a, this is a pretty common question we get when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, outdoor scenarios where someone really doesn't have like a leave it command or, or has like sort of moderate control, uh, verbal control of their dog because um, they're, they're in a position where they can't really follow up. They're, they're struggling to be able to, t to t train their dog through this scenario. So what advice would you have for Alice who's struggling to train her dog not to eat goose and deer poop? Yeah, so it would be twofold. Definitely the training needs to be brought back front and center. So um, if at any point you have a dog that 
wanders off and grabs something that they shouldn't eat when out and about and they won't relinquish it to you they won't drop it from a distance they won't uh bring it to you if you call them to you um that is a very dangerous scenario so i would definitely as quickly as you can get back to a little bit of a training mode you know i, I would put a long line on that dog and i would work response to name and recall ad nauseum um and i would also work on the leave it cue because that one is a real lifesaver i actually have um i have several cues with my dogs when it comes to dropping things or leaving them i have leave it which means don't pick it up to begin with and hopefully that's something that i've spotted first and i've been able to tell my dog leave it but i also have a drop it command where if he has picked up something i you know we're out on a trail and i look over to see where my dog is and he's got a big deer bone in his mouth or something like that. I don't want to touch that. I don't want to try to wrestle that out of my dog's mouth. So I can say out and my dog will drop that right away. I also play a game when I'm out and about with my dogs, whenever they pick things up and I have retrievers, which means that they are so tactile with their mouths. You know, Nettie, my youngster, his biggest joy is just grabbing something and running around with it in his mouth because that's what he was bred to do. So I will, if I see them pick up a stick or something like that on the trail, actually, I wrote a blog post about this too. I just remembered that I will say bring it here let me see and they have learned that that means they bring it to me I pick it up or, or take it out of their mouth and I'm looking at it and I usually give them a big cookie or I give them a big play session or something of that nature and then I give them the stick back uh, as long as it's something safe I want to let my dog know that you bringing me something is never going to be a confrontation I'm not going to wrestle it away from you I'm not going to take it away from you I'm not going to try to chase you down and steal it from you I want my dog to willingly say oh yeah i'd love to bring that to you and i interestingly enough i always find it funny that i've had my dogs bring me things like deer bones because we we tend to go down into a ravine that uh, has a lot of uh, very fun wildlife down there so um they'll bring you know a little little hides that they find or, or there's tennis balls down there a lot for some reason so there must be other dogs playing down there i always assume other dogs maybe people are playing tennis down there i don't know um <laughs> Who are you? Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge where people play tennis? Exactly. But uh, I use those to my advantage. And I always laugh because my dog will give up this really enticing deer bone for a piece of kibble, for example. And it, it's like they gave me a million dollars and I gave them a nickel back. Hey, that's a win-win. But my dog still thinks because it's been patterned. My dog still thinks, oh, this is a really great game. And they, they don't concentrate on giving up the item. They concentrate on the idea that it's a great thing to bring me items. So I would get back to your training and work those things into it so if they pick up benign things that you're not worried about you can work that bring it here let me see but always have a long line or a leash on so that you can without having to chase the dog because you won't be able to catch them you won't be able to wrestle it out of their mouth at some point you definitely need to have that safety net in place that set that saves the dog if they've got something dangerous to pick up and you can't rely on physically getting there so long line on until the training is you know completed um, and make sure that you're putting in lots of hours of repetition or lots of practice hours of repetition with that out cue in as many scenarios as you can and with the leave it cue as well that one is so so important well and it, it, 
just for a minute, let's talk about one scenario that you had with your young puppy. Uh, I remember you talking about, um, I think they'd, uh, the MNR had dropped rabies bait pouches. And so, yeah. you know, that, that sense of urgency, it's not just uh, goose or deer poop. It could be something that's really dangerous. And I, I think that might be a good example to uh, mention here. Definitely. Yeah. The, the uh, Ministry of Natural Resources had dropped those rabies packages to try to immunize the wildlife. And we found one down in that ravine I was just mentioning. And I hadn't seen one in person before. I had no idea what it was. I just saw this green thing in Ned's mouth. And at the time, he was maybe about five months old or something. But out is one of the first things that I teach my dogs because, like I said, I have retrievers and they pick up anything and everything. So very early on, I teach them out. So by five months, he already had a very strong out command we were just starting the bring it here let me see game but I didn't do it with that item because I wasn't sure what it was that he had so I didn't want it in his mouth any longer than necessary and I just told him out and he spat it out and he came running to me and I gave him a couple of uh, cookie rewards because again I wasn't sure what it was so I really wanted to make sure I made an impression that what a good dog you dropped that that's great and I went over to have a look and of course it was that uh, that rabies vaccination in the uh, in the little green um, in the little green green uh, uh, labeled container so i was really glad at that point to to have that drop at queue because who knows what that could have been i um uh, with uh, our dogs i will often sort of give them two uh, out commands or drop it uh, sort of commands uh, the out is a little bit less formal it's um a little bit more relaxed where a drop it is definitive and if you listen to our podcast or you know uh, trained with us or seen our youtube channel you'll know that uh we focus heavily on the recall uh where you have a 100 percent reliable recall regardless of the distractions but we also have an informal here here which is you know a little less urgent and uh you know a little bit more relaxed relaxed. So I essentially do the same thing with my training with those two, the drop it and the out, you know, I can use an out when we're playing tug or when, you know, something that's not that urgent, but uh, I train that drop it. So it happens immediately each and every time uh, with our dogs. And I, I like to be able, personally, I like to be able to sort of have those two varying degrees of urgency with those, uh, with those out commands. But Definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, now the next name, I hope I don't uh, butcher, but it's uh, J. Rosarie uh, Prochazkova, Prochazkova uh, asks a great question. What do you think about leash dog to dog interactions? We do not like them. Um, it, it, th I think we touched on this earlier with one of the other questions. It changes body posture, tight leash especially. It changes body posture. It can bring tension into the situation because if a dog is trying to lean in to sniff and now they're being told they can't and being pulled back, that will often create some tension and some pressure in the scenario. So um, we've, uh, we've done a lot on... Um, allowing dogs to play with one another, things like that. And while while dog-to-dog -dog play is lovely with dogs that you know, I personally never allow my dogs to greet strange dogs. I just don't, it's not worth the risk to me. Um, we're, we're in a, an unfortunate position of having, having lots of access to stories and unfortunate scenarios and dogs being bitten out and about on walks by dogs that you know their owner said oh yeah he's friendly and then something just goes wrong it, it's just not worth it to me with the number of times that i've heard things like that happening and heard of dogs being hurt so i am very cautious with my dogs when we're out and about walking if people say oh is your dog friendly i just say no and i keep walking and I, there was a time where i was 
I would feel guilty about that. I would feel bad. I would feel like I was not being a very kind human being out there in the world, just telling people no. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is keeping my dog safe. And if that means that I come across as a not so nice person when I'm out and about, I've come to terms with that. If you do have to allow your dog to greet another dog on leash, make sure First off, you have a good response to name so you can get your dog's attention back away from that scenario without putting pressure into the leash or without having to tighten up the leash. Make sure that you keep the leash loose for that greeting and keep the greeting very short, something around two or three seconds maximum before on a loose lead you call that dog away. Personally, I don't even allow that with my dogs. If I'm going to allow them to play with other dogs, it's dogs that I know that are safe and it's always off leash um, and it's always after I have good enough control of my dog that they will listen to my voice 100% regardless of whether or not they're in the middle of a wrestling match with that dog or not because I want to make sure that if that play starts to escalate to a point that I don't like, I can shut it down immediately before anything bad happens. I think for the amount of dogs that we see that have to come in for some sort of help to to uh, you know build confidence uh, back or you know uh, alleviate some fear, there's lots and lots of situations where uh, maybe a hundred times they, that there's a n no issue with dog to dog interaction. But for that one, it's just not worth the risk. For that one time, uh, the damage that can be done, and not just physically, because you know obviously there's some obvious physical damage that can happen, but the psychological damage that happens in just the bad experience you know we're responsible for making sure that we are protecting our dogs and make you know giving them the best life possible and we do have to be do sort of a risk assessment in this situation like what, what's the benefit of having them greet on leash and it's i mean it's there's really no benefit uh it's standing on a sidewalk with both dogs on leash so really take that to heart take shannon's advice to heart and uh, uh consider uh you know either a, a different environment or uh not necessarily not allowing your dogs to greet on leash now this um, sort of dovetails into uh, looks like Michaela Betalgarin. I, I apologize for uh, I'm sure for, you got that right. for reading the names. Uh, she asks, "How do you manage and train a fearful dog?" Mm. And this is a pretty broad this question. Yeah, and it's a tough one to answer because I would not recommend anything. As far as a blanket response, uh, I can't give you anything other than stop the rehearsal of the behaviors if possible and seek the advice of a qualified behaviorist so that you can have somebody to work through that with you. The, the, the problem with giving advice about behavioral things is that they change at the drop of a hat and you need somebody who can change with them. So you need somebody who can watch the dog and as they're seeing the body language develop, they can at that point say, okay, that's because of this the dog is reacting because of this it's reacting to this or they can at least point out the first second the dog is showing a reaction to that scenario and that usually takes that it takes some training it takes some time in dogs to be able to recognize that really early body language um most of us will be right on board knowing that the dog is fearful worried uh, what have you if they're you know barking and backing away or they have their tail tucked but you need to intervene with scenarios when you see something much earlier than that. So it might be a little bit of an ear pin back. It might be a little bit of whale eye. It's going to be something a lot more subtle. And those are the scenarios 
things where those are the opportunities that you want to take to change the behavior. So I definitely recommend if you've got a behavioral problem, any behavioral problem, don't try to work through it on your own. If you're not a professional, work through it with somebody who has behavioral training and who can recognize, read body language and give you a program that allows you to tell the dog that when they're right and when they're wrong, and it allows you to set the dog up to be successful. So recognizing that early body language is what is going to make that dog be successful so that you can intervene at that point. That would definitely be my advice for that is, is seek a qualified behaviorist. It'll be well worth the investment in time and energy. And when it, when it comes to finding a behaviorist, uh, do your research. You know, there's there's uh, very little regulation in the dog training industry. Uh, there's none, and uh, anyone can call themselves a dog trainer. But just do a little investigation uh, with that person who you who you uh, want to train with. Experience is key, especially with these uh, fearful dog situations, because some of those signs that Shannon uh, gave to you uh, independently, uh, you know, maybe barking and backing away, that may be a playful dog, but in the wrong perception, uh, it's a collection of signs that you see uh, that a dog trainer will see and their experience will, uh, you know, uh, guide their advice. Um, it, it, so really be cautious as you're selecting a dog trainer in, in, uh, in today's world, because that it can make, it can make or break that training experience for your dog. And you definitely want to be, um, spending your hard earned money, uh, the right way for sure. Cause it's uh, it can often be an expensive endeavor, but it needs to be done to help those, uh, fearful, uh, dogs. Now, something that I'd love to mention to our podcast audience is that we, Shannon, has worked really hard on this very exciting thing to offer to you guys, and it's actually launching on March 1st. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but it's something that everyone who listens to our podcast can be a part of. And why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your, your, our, our, the, the announcement, Shannon? If you can see me, you can see I'm just on the edge of my seat waiting eagerly to drop the bomb on this one. We are releasing um, free workshops every month. We're going to have a free workshop delivered right to your inbox. So if you go to um, if you go to our website, you can connect to the email list to get on to be notified when we have the free workshops. Um, the first one that's being released is an attention workshop where we worked with all sorts of different drills and gave you the tools to get your dog to focus on you whether you've asked for it or in some scenarios if you haven't asked for it and how to get your dog to focus on you even when the distractions are tough and the things in the environment are potentially more desirable for the dog to look at than to look at you we are um, we're going to work on teaching the dog that even in those scenarios looking at you is still a much more reinforcing thing so get signed up for that update list and uh, those workshops are coming we're super excited about them yeah I'm really excited. Yeah. I, I love, yeah, I, I love um, being able, I love how amazing the community is when they say, you know, I tried this, I, you know, I was on uh, this on their Facebook page or I read your blog and it really helped me. I love that. And uh, I'm so excited to offer like step-by-step -step training uh, within the uh, the training workshops, the free monthly training workshops that uh, I'm pumped. I, I, I can't wait to to get people. I know um, our My Dog Can students have had access to this for about a week now, was it? And uh, one of our... Yeah, and one of our students uh, jumped into the workshop, and she just like she just zoomed through it. You know, she took every course or every uh, video and worked her through it. And I was excited to see that. So, um, if you are uh, listening to the podcast, then I will 
pop a link in the show notes so that you can get to that uh, the free uh, attention workshop and get on the list for the free monthly workshops and if you're watching this on our youtube podcast i'll drop a link in the description below now, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, make sure you hit that follow button or that subscribe button. We publish new podcasts every single week to help you to have a well-behaved four-legged family member and help you to understand the why behind how dogs think and learn. And on that note, I'm Ken. I want to thank instructor Shannon Viljasso, the director of online training for joining us again today. And I want to wish you happy training. Bye for now. Bye everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.